right, today we have Dr. Kayan Gnallin, also known as Guna, who is a senior vice president with AECOM in their transportation division, and also our 2020 ASCE Society president. So with that, he leads a team of people, about 150,000 strong. Um, he's super into ethics. He's won an award, I believe, with the state of Utah for um, his work with ethics. And he also uh, chaired the, the 2014 Global Engineering Conference that was held in Panama City, Panama. Uh, he was also voted the 2018 Engineer of the Year for the Utah section of the American Society of Civil Engineers. So with that, and another thing, I also saw you um, get inducted as the president uh, down in Miami in the fall. And one thing that struck me, you had your kids, both your kids give your introduction. So you are also a dedicated father and husband. And that was very, um, very touching their tribute that they gave to you. So that was super cool. So with that, I would like to welcome Guna today. So. Thank you, Kerry. Appreciate the introduction. So it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time being inducted in Miami. And, uh, you know, as basically saying, you know, the legacy that you leave are your kids mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And so I've been very fortunate. Um, been, been married for over 38 years now. And the kids, kids have been good. And uh, both are one is in Los Angeles and the other was in is in Houston. So, okay. That son finished his MD PhD and she's got her double masters in biomedical. So, both are on the way. Yes, good in work, mom and dad. Good work. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe growing up, uh, where you grew up, um, just a little bit of your backstory, I guess. Yeah. I was born and raised in India, born to a middle-class family. Uh, my father uh, was an attorney, but he was in the legislature, secretary to the Indian government, I mean, to the local state government, and then he was a member of the Indian parliament. Uh, I have one sibling, uh, my brother, who's 14 years older than me. He's a cardiothoracic surgeon, retired. So when I was growing up, you know, since I was much younger than my brother, you know, you know, back in India, you know, you have to make a choice when you get into high school as to what you want to do. So we had a family get together. My mother was not uh, educated, but my father was educated, a self-made man. And uh, he always aspired for uh, his brothers and for us to, you know, be educated. The advice he always gave us was good health and education two things to sustain you through life. So he was always uh, supportive of uh, good education. So we had a family get together since my brother was a surgeon at that time. So the discussion was what my interest was and my interest was in mathematics. And I was not the type of person who could get up in the middle of the night and go save a life. Uh, and I also uh, used to faint at the sight of blood. <laughs> So medicine wasn't in the books, but, you know, so we said, I have an aptitude for math, so I must go into engineering. And my brother said, probably the right thing to do. 
but my mother was not very happy with the decision because she said, your brother is a surgeon, you should be a physician and we could have good family practice. And but, you know, my brother and I were 14 years apart and you know, two different generations, two different thinking. So that probably wouldn't have worked even if I had to go into medicine. So, so got my bachelor's from uh, the oldest engineering school in India called the Survey School. It's a five-year program. And then I stayed on to get my master's in soil mechanics and foundation engineering. And then I decided to pursue my PhD. The reason for doing that at that time was, you know, those days in India, the jobs that you could get with a bachelor's degree were the jobs that somebody with a master's degree did not want. So at that point, I decided that I probably need to pursue higher education, which my father was strongly in support of, so that I can be more competitive in the days to come forget winning the race, you know, even be able to run the race, you needed to have the qualifications to do it. So that's the reason I said, I'm gonna go all the way to get my PhD and then see what life has to offer. So I always encourage people that, you know, get as much as you can when you're young and able to, because life gets in the way after some time. Mm -hmm. It's the same advice I've given my kids is, you know, I've seen some families, you know, if you, if you have an engineering degree, no matter which field you choose to go to, you'll be successful. So that's what I told my kids. So that's why my son, even though he's finished his MD, he's got his PhD as well. So I told him even as a doctor, you know, if you have to go help somebody in the middle of an African jungle, you know, if you have some engineering background, you know how to fix things up and you know take care of somebody's health. But without that engineering background, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. So I always recommend folks to you know, get good background and basic mathematics and science and engineering, and then you, know, you can solve any challenges in life. Okay. So, and then I came to Utah, I mean, I came to Lubbock to Texas Tech to pursue my PhD in 1982 and so that started my journey here in the United States. Okay, what made you decide to go to Texas for your PhD? Well, I got admission to a number of places, two things. One, a couple of my seniors from my alma mater in India were already pursuing their PhD program at Texas Tech. And then I also had Dr. Wallaban, a, a professor from the Texas Tech visit India when I was teaching there as an adjunct faculty in the university in preparation to come to U.S. So he said uh, the opportunities at Texas Tech were good. They didn't have anybody to teach the soils lab. So I figured that, you know, I needed to have a support to bring my wife over at that time, the love of my life that I got married in India. So I decided to go to Texas Tech for one. The tuition was very cheap. Um, and then uh, I had kind of an assurance that when I got there that I would get a teaching assistantship to support myself financially and my wife. So that's the reason I went to Texas Tech and you know, the rest is history. Did you plan on just coming here to get your PhD and going back to India or did you plan on staying? Initially that was the plan. And then I had some challenges because after three years, you know, they ran out of funding because it was a teaching assistantship, not a research assistantship. So they said they ran out of funding for me. So I had to find for a job and then I found a job and I lost a job. 
and then I decided that I came here to get my PhD and you know, I was going to do that and go back home. Um, I kept my PhD completely technical. It was a major in civil with uh, geotech and structures. A minor was in geosciences and the second minor was in soil science because the computer science and you know business and other things, you could always learn it outside of the four walls but I kept it all technical. And uh, but fortunately I landed with a position there in Lubbock, stayed there for a few years as a senior, as a vice president, general manager for a small company there. And then moved on to Utah to explore the Northwest and pursue more technical competence in earthquake engineering and so. Okay. Okay. So what, if you were to think back, what would be one of the major risks that you've had to take to get where you are professionally now? <clears throat> there were a number of things, as I said, you know, as I was trying to finish up my PhD, I had to go find a job. I lost a job because the economy was turning down. Being an international student, you know, you could only work on campus or you had to apply for a practice visa through the immigration and they give it to you and it has its restrictions. So then I had to come back, see if I could finish up my PhD and I got another job offer. So I went to work on a project in Amarillo. I had a wife and a kid to support. So I used to work in the field doing testing and other things Monday through Friday, take a shower, drive down from Amarillo to Lubbock to finish up on my dissertation, go back on Sunday nights, get to see my wife and kid for a few hours, and start work Monday morning. This routine went on for a year. But the biggest risk was I had a fairly comfortable job in a position there with a smaller firm, but then I wanted to explore the Northwest part of the country and also you know, hone in my skills in earthquake engineering and so on, be a ge being a geotechnical engineer. So I decided to pack up and move. So I got an offer first in Boise, but that was a parallel, not even a parallel move, it was a step down. So the same company offered me a senior position in Salt Lake. So they asked me to come and check it out. I came and checked it out, so it was just picked up and moved. And so came to Utah, worked with the firm for a few years, but you know, I progressed fast. And then I was trying to explore other opportunities for the company. And then the opportunity to work on one of the largest design build projects in Utah, the I-15 reconstruction project at the cost of $1.5 billion came up and I was offered a position to lead the geotechnical efforts on that project for the, for the owners, for Parsons Brinkerhoff. So it just, it just took off from there. So the move to move Northwest and came to Salt Lake, you know, was the beginning of large programs and projects and put me into a whole different uh, platform of playing with uh, civil, civil infrastructure projects. So now, you know, people tell me that probably, you know, I should be working, not working on small projects. I work on large programs in the, in the billions of dollars. So it's, 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 it's a very different thing. So I always tell people, don't turn down an opportunity. Always say yes. You can always, it may be a little hard, but you always learn something new. You never waste any time. 
and uh, take every opportunity that comes your way because you never know where it's going to propel you to. And uh, my career is a testament to saying yes. Okay. So when did you start getting involved with the ASCE? When I was doing my master's, you know, I had a good fortune. The head of the department was a graduate from UC Davis. My, my immediate advisor for my master's thesis was a graduate from Purdue. So they, when I was doing my research for my master's program, you know, he gave me all kinds of access and he had uh, subscriptions to the ASC's geotechnical journal. So I used to refer to the ASC's geotechnical journal for information and look at things to get some ideas in terms of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go about with my research for my master's program. So that was my first exposure to ASCE and brand ASCE. So when I came to Texas Tech, I asked my advisor then, Kentray, he said, what do I do to get involved with ASCE? So he brought the form and so told me to fill it out and said, give me five bucks and you'll be a student member. So, so that's, that was my first semester here in, in Lubbock that I joined as a student member. And I still remember taking the bus ride with Drew and me going from Lubbock to Houston to participate in the Texas section meeting and the competitions and stuff. So 1985 is when I officially signed up to be a member of ASCE. Okay. Okay, so a lot of that work is volunteer. Um, how do you think that has influenced or impacted your professional career, like with your job? Like, how did those two meld together? And has your experience with ASCE made you better at your nine, quote unquote, nine to five job? Absolutely. I, I always tell people what ASCE offers is an opportunity to collaborate with a lot of folks, your peers, right? I mean, you know that. I would agree. You can work with a lot of different folks from different fields. Uh, and then you start to develop certain skills, you know, the communication skills, start to see the bigger picture, uh, start to look things from somebody else's viewpoint. Um, you know, it's always the one thing that I've learned is not, you know, what it's not what you say, but how you say it. Um, it's, you know, how do you, one of the past presidents, Bill Henry, uh, his advice to me was if you're successful in a volunteer organization, you'll be successful anywhere because you learn the skills to be able to navigate, you know, and deal with people and issues. And so that's what ASCE teaches you is how do you encourage people and how do you influence people? How do you get people to do the things you want to get done? You know, those are the kinds of skills that you learn from being in a volunteer organization. So those things come into play. And of course, you know, being involved with ASE right now, you know, AECOM has been very gracious. They've offered me this time to do the things that I needed to do because they think it's the good thing for both me and the profession too, and indirectly to AECOM. So they've been very supportive of my role at ASCE. So it works both ways. So it's, it's been a fun ride learning. I, I always learn something new every time. Uh, yeah. every opportunity. So, so it's, been a, it's been a great experience, both professionally and with ASCE. 
Yeah. One thing that I love about it too is just the diversity of, of everyone that's involved. It's a worldwide organization. I remember one of the first times I went to a meeting in DC with people from all across the world and just being so inspired with all of these different viewpoints and different life stories. Um, but we're all civil engineers. Like we all had the same job title. Our name tag would say the same exact thing, but we're all so different. And just all of the like super interesting things that you can learn from people with different life paths, I think is. Yeah, the I mean, the, 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 I mean, I'll give you my, my experience with the diversity. It starts from where I grew up. You know, this was in a hometown called Chennai in Kiel Park uh, when my parents built the first house. And this is kind of how I got into engineering too. So after school, my father was kind of the planner and the, the visionary. My mother was the person who managed the construction of the house, you know, day to day. So, you know, she would get us all ready to go to work or to school and then she would go to the job site she would be there supervising the construction, the labor through the day. So after school, uh, the servant would take me to the job site because there was nobody at home. So mom was at the job site. So I used to be at the job site where we were building our family home. And I used to be there and you know managing and looking at all the construction and activities going on. And I would be drawing all kinds of plans, floor plans for different types of homes and structures and so on. That's when one of our family friends basically said, looks like he's going to be an engineer. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how I got my feet wet into construction, building, materials, all of those kinds of things. So that was a home that I grew up in. And we had a good group of friends in the neighborhood. We were about seven, five, six folks there living there. And then we used to have friends that went to the same school, all could congregate there. So I had friends who belonged to the Christian faith. I had friends who belonged to the Muslim faith and I'm a Hindu. And, you know, I, I've attended more midnight masses than you could give me credit for. I've been, I went to a Catholic school. I've attended chapel every day of school. I've attended scripture classes on Friday. I've gone to Sunday school. Um, you know, I've gone to midnight masses. And then when the Muslim friends are going through their celebrations of Ramadan and fasting, so poor guys would fast through the day and evening they, after sunset, they would have their prayers and then have a feast. We would join them for the feast in the evening. So the only difference when I came to this country was I was aware of Catholics, Protestants, and Jehovah Witnesses. Those are the three categories of Christians that I knew. But when I came to Texas, I was surprised that I got into Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, so on. So I got exposed to a lot of things. And of course, I come to Utah, and then, you know, we have the Mormons here, the, the Latter-day Saints. So it's been a great experience. So that's, I mean, the things that I love to do is learn. So now, anytime family and friends come to Utah, I give them a tour of the center here in Utah, sure. okay. you know, the, the, the Mormon church, mm -hmm. and, and I'm able to give a lot more detailed description of the early pioneers here to Utah, the stories about how they came here, and, and their faith and their beliefs, and so on. It's, you know, 
each one has their own beliefs and faith and stuff. You have to be respectful. You have to learn, be more educated, more accepting and tolerant. So that's kind of, um, and I, I thought, I think we did a great job with our kids because my daughter told me we, one of these days when we were sitting and having a deep conversation, she said, I need to thank you and mom. I said, for what? She said, you guys gave us the freedom to explore, learn about things, but you didn't force us into any one faith or belief. And so I've taken good things from every place. And so I've got my own set of values and principles that I live by. And so, so I think, you know, hopefully we've done good with our kids and pass that message along to others too, to be a lot more uh, tolerant. And as if you see my vision for ASE too, is to make this organization more transparent, diverse, and inclusive. India is, is very diverse, but it's a predominantly uh, a Hindu state, right? And then from there you come to Texas and more into West Texas. Uh, it's, it's about, you know, coming from a majority to a minority in trying to find how do you find, you know, people with similar interests and how, you know, and so on. And I think more importantly, food was a big, big deal because, you know, right now you walk in, even in Utah, you know, we, when I, when I, when we first moved to Utah, there was one Indian restaurant, right? Now there are 44 or 50 Indian restaurants in, in the Valley. Uh, you know, food is, you know, question of habit and taste. So you get used to certain types of food. So when we first moved to West Texas, you know, it wasn't that easily accessible, the things that we were used to back home. So not that I was not already accustomed to the Western type of culture and life, but it was just trying to get used to it on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, when people uh, my advisor asked me, you know, he walks up to me in my office and says, let's, uh, you know, let's look at this stuff and so on and let's play it by ear. And I said, sure. He walks back into his room and then comes back a couple of minutes later. He said, did you understand what I just told you? I said, yeah. You said, let's play it by ear. And I said, fine. He said, are you watching too much TV here that you're picking up all this lingo and slang? I said, no. I said, I've been watching movies for a long time. I said, in fact, it was disappointing when I came to Lubbock because I was used to watching a lot of Western movies in India. The last movie that I saw before I left India to come to the United States was the Dirty Hattie series of Clint Eastwood. Okay. And when I come to Utah, I mean, when I came to Lubbock, Westerns were no longer a big, big uh, draw anymore. So there was no more Western movies, no more cowboy movies you know, all of those things. So I was used to some of this. Um, I've seen the movie, All the President's Men before I came here. I've read a lot of books, seen a lot of movies. Um, we're familiar with the culture, but when you come in and try to immerse yourself, get used to it on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it is a little bit of a challenge trying to adjust to, to the local conditions and uh, culture. But we got used to it pretty quick. So, we, we, and as I said, diversity is not a big deal for me because, you know, as I said, my wife and I, we fell in love and got married 
because in India that was not a traditional stuff and more importantly her family background and my family background are very different and in fact we don't even speak the same language you know the common language that unites us is the English language I know people jokingly say no husband and wife speak the same language anyway but <laughs> this is literally we didn't speak the same language English was is still a common medium of communication Okay, because one of you is from northern India and the other one is from southern India, is that right? Yeah, I'm from the south and her family okay. was from the north. Okay. Born and raised in the south, but that's how we met. Okay, and don't, don't mix it up, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. And, and, and she prefers tea and I prefer coffee, so. Okay, okay. okay. We, we, we draw the line someplace, right? So. <laughs> Um, okay, so if you'd like to switch gears a little bit, um, what would be like one unexpected hobby? So something that maybe people wouldn't expect about you, um, just something that you're, that you enjoy or that you're passionate about. As I said, you know, one thing that I've picked up is, you know, in addition to traveling and stuff, but learning about other cultures, learning about other religions. Uh, you need to, you know, in, in trying to find yourself and trying to find your background and then trying to look around and see what all uh, things are there. So, you know, this is, as I said, when I first came to Texas, you know, I started to learn a little bit about the Baptists, learn about the Methodists, learned a little bit about the Lutherans. You know, I was just trying to figure out because to me from, from the outside, Christianity was just one, one block, but then realized that there were so many subdivisions within that block of Christianity itself, because, you know, as I said, you know, I knew that the distinction, you know, the Catholics and the Protestants, but that was it, but mm -hmm. to understand those. So try to learn a little bit about what each one's belief and faith was. Same thing when you come in and, you know, you learn a little bit about the Mormons. And then, so you always learn something new. So I try to keep my eyes and ears open and and read as much as I can about different religions and try to pick up on the nuggets and, uh, you know, collect, collect the best ones that, uh, you know, will lead me to a better place. Sure. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to pick, it doesn't have to be one person, but uh, just who inspires you, I guess. I, I basically say the next generation, the young folks, you know, I look at the kids, you know, kids have no inhibitions, no hangups. You know, we keep talking about thinking out of the box. I mean, when you're a kid, you're always thinking out of the box because the box has not been framed for you yet. You know, with all of the, the biases and the things that you build up around you. I still tell people, you know, everybody complains about the millennials. You know, I tell people, I'm still a 19-year-old millennial in my head. <laughs> figure out what I want to do. And I tell people, when you're young, you know, be, be free. Go explore the world. Learn something. I even tell my kids, don't limit yourself. I give examples, um, you know, like my son one time came one summer and said, Dad, I want to go get a job. And I said, why do you need to go get a job? And he said, well, I want to make some money. 
I told him we have been fortunate that we don't have to, but if you want to, you can. But he says, how much do I get paid and so on? So I gave him some figures and he went away to his room and 30 minutes later he comes to me and he said, uh, dad, I figured this out. He says, if I work full time through the entire summer, I'll make this much money. And I think mom wants to do that too. She could get this much money. And all you got to do is work a couple of extra hours and you'll make the same amount of money. So I said, well, it's your choice, what you want to do. I said, you're a kid once in your lifetime. Enjoy being a kid. Enjoy the summer. Sleep in late. Get up late. Go to the movies. Hang out with friends. Have a good time. You're going to work for the rest of your life. Not very many people are fortunate to have that luxury. And when you do, enjoy it because you know, life gives you one opportunity to enjoy certain things. So you might as well do it when you can. And when you're young, explore the world, new, do new things, you know, go, go and learn a new language, go learn about a different culture, broaden your stuff, be free. And uh, because life throws all kinds of curves at you. So there's always time to be bogged down and burdened down and everything else. So, you know, kids, do inspire me because I wish I can be a kid, you know, do the things that they can do. I think it's a fun, fun stage in life. So I wish I could freely think like them and be inspirational. I learn some things new all the time from them because, uh, but I also say it's not fun being a kid these days. Life is hard. I mean, you know, we have made life so complicated for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we should try to make it a, a carefree childhood. I mean, I had the privilege of enjoying a carefree childhood and I wish the same for every kid because, you know, that's one time in life that you don't have to worry about too many things. Yeah, that's cool. I like how you uh, said that too about, um, you know, with kids, just they're not afraid to give their opinion. They have all the confidence in the world. They're not held back by walls or boxes that people put them in. So Yeah. So always, you know, get energy. You know, when I meet younger folks, uh, listen to their ideas and, you know, share some, some wisdom, but I'm always learning something new and different from them. So. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It's all right. a fun journey. That's awesome. I think that's a perfect way to end. Um, unless if you have anything else you want to add? No, I mean, you know, I wish I could lip sync with you, but you know, I don't want to ruin this interview, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I will keep my singing to my four walls of my bathroom and in my own head. So, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. one, one, if I have one regret in life and that regret in life is I didn't learn to play a musical instrument. It's never too late. It's never, it's too, never late. too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. I'm still, the piano is still up there. So that's what the kids, I always tell them one sport and one musical instrument because that keeps you going because even during bad times, you know, that lifts you up. So yeah, that's one on my bucket list to learn something before, before it becomes too late. What, which one do you think you would pick? Which one are you going to pick? I still have one of those um, baby violins that my mother had. 
um, my, my, you know, my fingers are not pretty long for the piano stuff, but I think, you know, something like the violin or, you know, that kind of an instrument that sure. I would probably pick, but I need to find somebody who would teach me how to play. Sure. I think you can find YouTube videos, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can teach yourself right, teach yourself wrong sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And it's probably not that easy. I'm probably trying to make it um, overly simplified, I guess, too. But. Yeah, but I but I keep up with, you know, the music part of it. You know, my, my daughter was surprised. Um, you know, something, she came home one Christmas holidays, and we were talking about something. And then I told her that, you know, I like the latest song from Sam Smith. She said, you know Sam Smith? I said, why won't I know Sam Smith? I said, I keep up. The only thing that I didn't get used to was the heavy metal. I agree. I, you know, I went because when I was growing up, we, you know, we heard about Woodstock, you know, where I listened to the music. I've listened, watched the movies, watched all that stuff. So I went to the Holy Grail where Woodstock was held when I was up working on the Tap and Sea project up in New York. Okay. I went to visit the site. Um, ABBA, I still have my collection of records here, you know, the 30, 33 and th third, you know, vinyls. I still have my collection, Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, Air Supply, and a whole bunch of other things that I used to listen to when I was growing up. Um, so I'll just leave it in my head and not ruin your day. So what's your go-to karaoke song? you had to pick one there's many though um i you know if you looked at my thing you know justin timberlake's you know the, the music in my pocket okay okay that's a good one nice so it's a, it's a, it's a fun fun song okay so. all right so next time we all get to get together then we can do a little justin timberlake duet somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> 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 All right. Well, good. I really appreciate you taking time Thank out you. to talk and um, give us, um, you know, a lot of insight into your life and your passions and kind of what makes you tick. So thanks a lot for sharing all of that. Th th Thank you for the opportunity. I hope, hope this was useful and uh, hope, you know, whoever is listening out there, you know, picks a, picks a thing or two. And uh, I always tell people I'm very optimistic about the future. I think it's very bright and uh, my best wishes to everybody. Thanks. I agree 100% and thanks a lot. So.